0: on your wednesday episode of locked on raptors it's become a bit of a tradition throughout the off season for wednesday to be a mailbag day and so we have some more questions from you the lovely listeners to sift through today we're going to talk about what the Raptors can do to grease the wheels of their offense more than just adding in an extra ball handler or two this offseason. We'll talk about whether there's potentially some financial trouble coming for the Raptors with all the contracts they have on the book and potentially bigger contracts to add to the books in coming years. Plus, who's going to have the second highest usage on the team behind Pascal Siakam next season? We'll talk about that and so much more on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thank you so much for being here. What's going on and welcome to episode number 1195 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, June the 15th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors and you can follow, subscribe to, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's very appreciated when you take the time to do that. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe to the video version of the show to see my face every day and join the more than 2,100 satisfied customers who have signed on up and have not unsubscribed subscribed since signing up, which thank you very much for uh, sticking with it. Uh, It's been great seeing the YouTube numbers grow and stuff like that. So if you feel like watching on video or you just want to watch the video in the background just to help the numbers, please go ahead and head over to the Lockdown Raptors YouTube channel. Very easy to find just by searching Lockdown Raptors YouTube. All right, on today's show, which is, of course, your first listen of the day, duh, we are going to dig into some mailbag questions from the lovely listeners out there. We got five or six really good ones, so we'll probably go longer on a few of these. I know I tend to kind of try to go rapid fire through these once in a while, um, but there's some good meaty ones on, on on here. So we'll get into those questions about who's going to be the second highest usage player on the Raptors this season. Justin Champagny comes up. What's his role going to be? all that and more. But first, let's start with a question here from a regular question asker here on the podcast. It's Eric Morris at EpicMoppis on Twitter asking, aside from getting another ball handler playmaker in the offseason, what can the current roster and coaching staff do to address how stagnant the offense seemed to be at times last season? This is a really interesting one because Part of me thinks, the way the Raptors have built this team, the way they have guys all over the floor who can go and punish mismatches, the way they'll post up OG Ananobi, or get Scotty Barnes a switch onto a guard, or get Pascal a switch onto anybody, or just let Pascal do his thing because he destroyed everybody this season, they seem like they're trying to simplify things on off to the point where they're just looking for a match, a matchup they can hunt, go iso, and then try to score off of that. Um, you know, obviously there's other things worked in there. They run a lot of those elbow actions and you know, dribble handoff things like that to try to get guys going downhill, but they really do at their heart seem like a team that wants to have a strong defensive foundation. Obviously get a lot of transition out of that and run a whole bunch down other teams' throats. And then also when they're in the half court, don't get too crazy with it and really try to leverage the good scorers you have, in particular Pascal Siakam, hopefully Scotty Barnes more so next season. Leverage those guys into creating looks for others, whether it's open threes, whether it's cuts, whether it's their own looks, whatever it might be. So I think that by design... We're not going to see them adopt, you know, the the Golden State Warriors, sort of, all right, we're going to have everyone moving around off the ball, flying around off of all this set action and stuff like that, looking towards a play where we kind of know where the action is going to funnel. You know, there are more read and react. Nick Nurse has always been a little bit more read and react in terms of what he allows guys to do. He sort of emboldens players to make decisions with the ball to the point that, you know, a few years ago, he was asking Danny Green to do that. And Danny Green, to his own surprise, was like, wow, they're asking me to dribble. This is wild. Uh, Which, in hindsight, maybe wasn't the greatest idea. And certainly, you're, I think, inviting some more mistakes when you're inviting guys to just go ahead and do whatever they want when the ball comes to them. But... I do think there are some ways that the kind of grease that can grease things along and and I think a big key for this and this is a recurring theme with me I think Precious Achua is really a fascinating figure on this team in terms of how they look next season, whether the team-building model they seem to be leaning into is going to work. I think he unlocks it defensively for sure, but on offense it matters too, right? And I think having big men who can do the things that big men typically do, like offer really good roll gravity, that's a way to sort of grease the wheels of your offense. We've even seen the Raptors over the course of this se- this past season, you know, when Ken Birch was in there, wasn't doing a lot in terms of offensive utility. wasn't finishing a ton of plays, but just the mere fact that he could screen a guy, hit him hard, and then get a little bit of space for the guard going downhill or Pascal going downhill, whomever, that's so valuable to getting the wheels of your offense in motion. And so. I think Precious really needs to work on his screening, number one, and I think he needs to work on that lob chemistry and sort of catching and going up with it. You know, I think early in the season he had a tendency, whether it was on offensive rebounds or catching it on the dive, of sort of bringing the ball down and then getting it slapped away or turning it over. He got better with that as the season went along, but Precious, not only his development on defense, which we know is important, but I think his development on offense as a sort of play-finishing type center who can be a lob threat, we've seen moments where he can just get the hell up there and catch a lob and put it down, even though he's not a traditional Traditional seven foot Tyson Chandler type, I still think there's something there to tap into for him as a roller. And I think if you have a really good pick and roll big to work with, maybe this is something they bring in as well, right? Maybe they go and try to find a JaVale McGee or something like that to work as a dive man, as a more traditional roll man. But I think it does a few things. One, it's just a little bit of extra stuff that the defense has to think about. Are we going to sag off of OG Ananobi to stop this incredibly powerful roller and Precious Achua from scoring? And if so, does that lead to Precious hitting that wide-open shooter? Precious has to develop there as well as a short-roll passer to really make it all sing. But adding any little element of typical big-man skill to Precious's repertoire, I think will open up the Raptors to uh, just a more smooth, functioning half-court offense. And look, their half-court offense stunk last year, man. Like, as much as they finished in the middle of the pack in terms of overall offense, that was driven in large part because of their volume in transition. They weren't even a very good team finishing in transition. They were bottom 10 in the league in terms of overall efficiency in transition opportunities. They just had more of them than anybody, so they racked up the points that way because, you know, you're inherently going to score more in transition than you are against a set defense, regardless of if you're good at it compared to the rest of of the league or not. But in the half court, their offense was really bad. They had a 20, the 27th-ranked effective field goal percentage on offense, which, of course, led to them having to go and scoop up those offensive rebounds. Second in the league in offensive rebounding, that is something pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, obviously I think that is a a huge thing, right? Is, you know, the the offensive rebounding made it so their offense worked, but that certainly plays into the idea that it's kind of stodgy and awful to watch when you're really hoping, all right, well, we know this is missing. Hopefully a guy there can pick up the garbage and put it back. Like, your offense being built around garbage buckets is not necessarily the most beautiful thing to watch. Like I said, I don't think we're going to see the Raptors go and become some sort of version of, like, the you know the Utah Jazz right where they put a team in the blender for 24 seconds with Gordon Hayward and the, that that era and really try to sort of grind a team into dust with beautiful sets and off ball movement and things like that I think they are going to be more of a traditional offense but there are certainly things they can inject like a more sort of advanced offensive option in Precious Achua not just as a pick and roll guy or as a guy who can put it on the deck or not as a pick and pop guy or as a guy who can put it on the deck but also as a guy who can work as a roller and force the defense to actually worry about him there and then hopefully open things up for other guys whether they're cutting baseline you know get those four on three opportunities going whatever it might be having a functional big man in that rolling spot makes a huge difference and so you know maybe it's not even precious maybe it's Ken Birch maybe it's someone they draft and try to develop it's not going to happen this year you're not drafting a guy 30th overall and asking him to be your sort of savior on offense or anything like that but you know that might be something they try to develop along Of course, if they go and get DeAndre Ayton or something like that, that changes the equation here as well because he's a fantastic roller and that probably opens things up as well, even though to acquire DeAndre Ayton, you're probably having to give up one of your best shooters, which creates its own set of problems that they would have to reckon with. Um but yeah you know some other things too i think you know the other thing that having a good rolling big man would do is probably open up malachi flynn to be a little bit more effective as a second unit operator to run the offense a bit more smoothly in a bit more of a traditional fashion you know he comes in as this highly touted pick and roll guard and just is never asked to run pick and roll and you can get him a partner to work with whether it's precious building that chemistry whether it's ken birch with a full season of hopefully good health uh you know maybe that's something in the second unit you can lean on um but ultimately i think the real improvement For this team probably just comes from pascal and scotty barnes and og and gary trent jr and fred van vliet all just kind of having a little bit of internal growth right if scotty barnes just gets that much better as an iso scorer if pascal you know improves just a little bit as a three-point shooter all these little incremental improvements will i think probably translate to a pretty decent offense Do I think this Raptors team is going to, you know, be a top 10 offense next season? No, I don't think so, unless we see just like some sort of meteoric rise from Scotty Barnes in year two, where he just is sort of like the engine of an offense that is top 10 on its own. That's a very difficult thing to do. Luka Doncic, he is not just yet and probably will never be. But I, I do think that's sort of what you're banking on here, some internal growth, hopefully some, you know, bounce back in terms of overall shooting, you know, in terms of like, Chris Boucher, for example, a nice bounce back there. Scotty Barnes climbing up a little bit from 30% to 33-34. Precious Achua maintaining what he did in the back part of the season over the course of the full season. All those little sort of improvements will probably lead to a bit more of an entertaining offensive product than the kind of stodge fest that we've seen quite a bit from the Raptors, uh, at least over the last year. So very good question. And I'm sure that what happens in the offseason and the draft will you know, kind of affect this as well. If they go and get Aiton, this is a very different question. If they go and get any sort of big man who's a traditional roller, that changes the equation as well. Uh, Great question from Eric. We'll get to more questions in just a second, including who will be the second highest usage player on the Raptors next season? That's coming up in just one second here. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. All right, NBA fans, you looking for Daily Fantasy for the NBA? Prize Picks is here and they've made it super easy. Not a lot of basketball left. Could just be one game. So if you want to get out on the fun and pick NBA players for their projections over under in Prize Picks, you have one or two more games left to do it. You just pick two to five players in an over under on their projections and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers the way it should be. There's no shadow expert behind the scenes putting together a lineup that you're competing against. It's just you against the numbers. And if you are better than the numbers, you're going to win some scratch. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from points scored rebounds even steals so maybe you want to do a cross sport you know blue jays and golden state warriors cross sport prop you want to do you know blue jays over on hits or something like that you could take vladimir guerrero jr he's starting to tear the cover off the ball for example you could use him as one of your props uh you know hits in a game and then of course you get steph curry points and you can win yourself some money they also have all the other sports: NFL, college football, college basketball, MMA, soccer, etc. For a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive offer, no brainer of an offer for all of our users. Get 50 bucks for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. But you must use the code NBA. That's right, it's an exclusive offer for Locked On fans. Sign up today, use the promo code NBA for 50 bucks for free if a player in your first entry scores a single point. And a reminder that Prize Picks is not available in Canada and is only available in select states. So check the availability wherever
1: you live. Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: Okay, we'll continue on here with our, your first listen of the day in our mailbag episode. Let's get to the next question here. comes from my pal, Lawrence Deschensky who asks, who will have the second highest usage on the Raptors next season? This is a very good question, a very important question, as the Raptors figure to sort of reorganize their hierarchy a little bit in terms of who's getting the the, the attention, who's going to have the ball in their hands, who's going to initiate stuff. You know, Pascal Siakam, I would assume, is going to be the leader in usage on this team. He was an All NBA player this past season. He had a 25.8% usage this past year. Fred Van came at a 23.7. Yet Gary Trent Jr. at a 21.8. OG Ananobi at a 20.5, and Scotty Barnes at a 19. I would say I don't think OG or Trent will be number two, just because they feel more like the fourth and fifth options in sort of the peak optimal version of this team. They feel like guys who are going to benefit from the gravity of Siakam and Barnes in particular. And so I can see those guys kind of coming in right around where we saw, right? Maybe a slight uptick. Maybe there's a bit of a drawback in terms of Fred's overall usage. Maybe everybody kind of comes down a little bit. And we see a bit more of that egalitarian style of play that we've kind of seen from the team, specifically in crunch time, where everybody kind of had moments over the course of crunch time games this season. So again, OG, Trent, they feel more like secondary guys. And I don't think they're going to have their usage increase because I think Scotty Barnes is going to have his increase quite a bit. And I think that will come out of the pie from Trent and OG, particularly from Trent. Like, I could see Trent falling back down to about a 19 or 20% usage rate here. And I think that's probably okay. He's good, obviously. You want him taking a lot of catch-and-shoot threes, even the odd pull-up three, the odd mid-ranger. But if Gary Trent Jr. is your third usage guy, I think you could probably reorient things a little bit more to sort of optimize efficiency in a bit more of, a, of, a, of an effective way. And again, I think Scotty Barnes is going to continue to be efficient. You know, he had a very efficient rookie season for what he was asked to do. Obviously, the three-point shooting wasn't there, and it kind of dragged down the numbers. But overall, scored from inside, and in, inside 15 feet, just about as well as anybody in the NBA. And I think you want to try to get more of that. The rim pressure he offers, the way he can just kind of maneuver his way to the basket. I want Scotty Barnes taking a lot of shots next season. I think he should be number two fred van vliet's an interesting one though because we know fred van vliet is so essential to what the raptors do in terms of his pull-up shooting in terms of his catch and shoot off-ball shooting he should be shooting a lot he's a fantastic three-point shooter he's a 40 percent guy on insanely high volume that's a guy you want having a high usage on your team i also think though that just not having the ball in his hands quite as much will inherently bring his overall shot totals down and that will affect his usage of course so i think Barnes and Siakam should be the leaders in shots attempted per game next season. They're your two best scorers, They're the, or at least your two best sort of most uh proven interior scores, i would say and barnes i think has the wherewithal to eventually grow into the best scorer on this team maybe not next season but perhaps the year after or the year after that um i, I would say start leveling him up now and hope that you get good results but if not at least you're giving him those reps as a pretty heavy on ball option for the raptors i also think barnes is going to run a lot with the second unit same with siakam and so if those guys are kind of trading off carrying second units i could see them carrying the day quite a bit there um you know I've said it before, the vision for this team next season is Barnes and Siakam are the heads of the snake, they're the, the lesser shooters of the bunch, but they are so good at getting to where they want to go inside the defense and you know picking things apart from inside out that I think if you have those two guys kind of trading off the bulk of the possessions as the primary initiator and you can really take advantage of the gravity of Van Vliet, Trent, and OG off the ball... Precious, obviously, and and Chris Boucher, I think are going to be very important bench pieces as well. You know, we'll see who else figures in there. But I I really think Siakam and Barnes should be the guys who kind of carry the day offensively. It frees Fred up to be off ball where he's best and also frees him up to not get grounded to dust. That, to me, is the ultimate vision. So I hope it's Barnes. It could be Fred because Fred likes to shoot a lot. (laughs) and He's prone to a 25-attempt game, especially if he's kind of feeling himself from deep. Um, But I, I do think ultimately... And, you know, Barnes, too, is, you know, he's very pass-forward, right? Like, he's not exactly looking for his own shot all the time. That's something they've had to talk to him about and kind of encourage him to do more. So perhaps his own selflessness leads to Fred Van Vliet being number two on the team, like he was this season by a pretty comfortable margin. Um, but if it's not Fred Van Vliet, I think Scotty Barnes slides up into that second role in the pecking order. And, you know, who knows when he surpasses Pascal Siakam who becomes the number one guy. Probably won't be far off, though, because Scotty Barnes, if you haven't heard... Rocks. Uh, Another quick question here before we get to another break. Uh, Great question from Lawrence, but this question here comes from Morgan Eyes Only on some news that went down yesterday. Patrick Matumbo, head coach of the Raptors 905, has been hired as an assistant for the Phoenix Suns. And the question is simply, how do you feel about Matumbo leaving Raptors 905? Look, Matumbo is a good coach. The 905 continue to impress and be good and win a lot of games and show development over the course of full seasons. And as much as it's a bummer to see Matumbo leave and leave the Raptors system, I think this is just a byproduct of being a really successful franchise. And I feel like probably most people are used to it by now. I mean, Jama Malalela goes and gets an assistant job with the Warriors. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse goes and gets the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. Probably the NBA at some point soon here too. Jesse Mermis was the head coach originally for the 905. He goes and gets a head uh, assistant job with the Lakers, I believe. And now I think the Kings after that. It's a shame that Jesse Mermis is attached to Luke Walton, but whatever. That's a different different thing for another day. But, um, yeah, it sucks to see Matumbo go. Anytime you have good talent within your franchise that's good enough for another team to poach him, obviously you're losing something. But I think at this point, the Raptors are so self-sustaining when it comes to the coaching talent they're bringing along. You know, in terms of who they're they're sending down at the 905, and I can't imagine that they're anything but happy when one of their guys is poached by another team and says, "Hey, like this is a guy for us." So happy for Patrick Matumbo. I'm sure they'll get someone good in there, whether it's John Goodwillie or any of the other sort of second bench assistants for the Raptors. Um, you know, they, they seem to have kind of a constant churn of guys who they're ready to send down there. So I would expect that we'll see a very similar sort of year in terms of what the machine of raptors 905 looks like right they got a new coach down there they're obviously using raptors principles and the system and it's all very much tied to the parent club which is a very important thing to obviously the sort of top-down culture of the team so if you have that going and you have another coach down there who's you know been coached in the Raptors' ways, I think you'd be pretty comfortable about what the Raptors' 905 coaching situation is going to be. I don't think they're going to go make some sort of outside hire, for example. Or they're going to go internal, as they have all throughout history of the 905, and that'll probably turn out pretty good results, as it has all throughout the history of the 905. We'll finish up in just a sec with a couple of more questions to dig into. Before we do that, however... Gotta tell you about our friends over at BetOnline.net. Your number one source for all your sports betting stats and info. Find all the latest sports developments, news, odds, and lines, including this year's NBA Finals. You've got the Stanley Cup Final going in the NHL right now, starting tonight. You got Major League Baseball rolling on as well. Fighting news, MMA, UFC, whatever it is, you can be the informed wagerer because you are getting all the information you need, injury reports, etc., to make the bets that you are going to win money on, as opposed to just throwing money away like I do a lot of the time. I just like oh yeah that feels good to my gut and then I just piss money down the drain I need to be better at going to bet online to inform myself before I go and make those wagers head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action betonline.net is where the game starts
1: the NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama
0: every Monday Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league
1: helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available
0: on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, we continue on here with your mailbag episode, digging into two more questions from the good people out there. This next question here comes from Freddie Rivas, regular question asker on the Mailbag Shows, who asks, I think we're both on Team Run It Back, but do you foresee any salary problems for this squad in the near future? So let me just kind of first get my general philosophy when it comes to NBA salary stuff and salary caps and figuring out the minutiae. There's a reason I'm not paid to be in a front office to figure this stuff out. And there's a reason that these teams have these kinds of guys in the front office to figure this stuff out. It is an absolute art and a science all in one. And the people who are paid to manage the cap and figure out the minutia, Bobby Webster himself wrote the damn thing. Those guys are really, really great at their jobs and they're experts. And so I kind of trust them to figure it out i know that's maybe you know you don't want to put too much benefit of the doubt with the team and be like oh well they'll figure it out because then you just sound like a big homer but like when you have the guy who wrote part of the cap And a team that, you know, is fine financially to the point that they're not going to be, like, ducking the tax, uh, you know, just to save money or anything like that. They're not going to be not signing guys just because they're a little cash poor. You know, the tax obviously comes with its own implications. And you don't want to pay the tax just for the sake of paying it because it has competitive disadvantages built in down the line. But I I do think that the Raptors have shown that they're pretty good at managing this tightrope of all right we're going to get up to the cap line we're going to be right at the tax line we're going to be able to maneuver as a, ta- a sort of a near tax team with the ability to go into it if we hit a competitive championship window and i don't think they're there yet and i don't really think they have to worry about that just yet they still have plenty of wiggle room this off season you know i've mentioned it before that 31 million bucks or so between uh you know the money they have underneath the tax and you, know, you got the mle worked in there you've got potentially assigning chris boucher and thad young with that There's lots of money to work with beneath that tax threshold. I don't think you have to worry about them having any sort of duress or danger of having to move off from a guy or anything like that because the cap is there or the tax is there. Um, you know, there are certainly some pathways here where they get themselves into trouble, though. You know, they're they're helped right now by the fact that Pascal Siakam is playing like a full-on max player. All-NBA, he's incredible. Whatever his contract is going to be, he is, I believe, extension eligible this offseason. And so, uh, you know, maybe they look to extend him. Fred Van Vliet, uh, there was a report yesterday from Michael Scotto from Hoops Hype about the perhaps the uh, the, the, build, the ability of the Raptors to extend Fred Van Vliet this offseason, which, you know, would increase his overall salary from where it is around 20 21.2 million for next season that would eventually turn into something closer to 30, uh, based on the numbers kind of being thrown out. Just rough estimates here. Um, you know, that obviously is a big number to have on the books, but OG makes a very reasonable contract. You have Scotty Barnes on a rookie contract for three more seasons as well, which is so, so valuable to have that player who's that good already making 7.6 million bucks. I mean, he probably played like a $15 million player at minimum last season. So you're getting incredible value there. And all of this is also couched in the thing that I don't like talking about players through value. It's why I don't love talking about this contract stuff and why I leave it to the pros to figure out because they usually figure it out. Um, But I do think there are some ways where you can get yourself into some trouble, right? It's locking yourself into a core that maybe can't contend. So... For example, maybe they say, all right, this crew that we have, this is the team we want around Scotty Barnes going forward. Let's just pay them and keep them around. You you give Gary Trent Jr. a bit of a raise for, from his 17 million bucks or so after he probably opts out at the end of the season. Maybe he's making 21-22. Uh, OG has two more years before he can opt out, so maybe you extend him uh, after next season or whatever it might be, and you end up having him making 25 million bucks or something. The nice thing is you can pay all your own guys. That's the beauty of the NBA is... You got your own guys, you can pay them, you can go over the tax to pay them if you want to. You're paying the tax, of course, but you can still pay them and go over the cap to keep them. That's great. Well, it's what the Warriors have done for a decade, and it's worked out pretty damn swimmingly for them, even though apparently people are mad about how much money they have, which is a weird thing to get mad about. Anyway, um, you know, the world in which this becomes a problem for the Raptors is if they give all those guys money to become the core around Scotty Barnes and then Scotty Barnes doesn't actually pan out and doesn't become the you know top 15 10 player that you're hoping to see him become the guy who you can say all right that's the guy who's going to lead us to the promised land if that doesn't happen then you're stuck pretty badly with a team that's got some big bloated contracts and a guy who you're obviously going to pay in Scotty Barnes it's pretty clear at this point you're going to pay him whatever it is to keep him around But if he is more of a sort of second option on a great team, also a max player, but still maybe not quite the number one, you might find yourself in one of those sort of soft middle spots where you're not bad, you're not even mediocre, you're good, but are you good enough? And do you have the financial flexibility and wiggle room to get out of it? Um, I suppose they could also get themselves into some trouble if they go and give Chris Boucher a ton of money this offseason, too, for multiple years. I don't really get the sense that's going to happen. They feel like they can kind of give him a one-year balloon payment if they wanted to, to keep him around and just sort of maintain that flexibility going forward. And I think I'm sort of soothed in this whole conversation by the fact that what has Masai Ujiri pr- prioritized above all else, really, other than winning over the last decade? It's been flexibility. It's been maneuverability. Having the option to sort of swap pieces in and out. And yeah, sometimes you have to move off of a guy like Damari Carroll because your cap situation's getting awkward, and you have to attach a pick to that. And that sucks. That's a bummer. But is anyone really bemoaning the loss of the pick that became... Who God, who was that? Was it Rodion's Kuruks or Dazanan Musa? Whoever it was that the Nets took who's no longer in the NBA with that pick. I think if you're a good enough team and you can move off guys like that, you're probably okay attaching late first to move off of guys to maintain the flexibility, which again is a thing the Raptors have really prioritized and valued because there's lots of value to it. There's lots to be said for the not losing the opportunity cost of having no flexibility just by simply maintaining it. And so... Again, I think, you know, things will get expensive, surely, and there might have to be a casualty of the cap at some point. All teams have to deal with this, but if over the next three seasons the Raptors become like a no-doubt sh- like no clear title contender with Scotty Barnes ascending, you're probably all right paying Pascal and Fred Noji and, and Gary Trent Jr. lots of money and going into the tax because the cash cow that that will be in Toronto is ridiculous. And so this is not something to really be worried about, I would say, until Scotty Barnes' next contract comes up. Um, you know, another thing that could complicate it is if they have to go and give a max contract to DeAndre Ayton, for example, and move off of a very reasonable contract like OG Ananobis, which I don't think they should do, by the way. We've talked about this. Um, but if that's something they did where they go trade off OG for, a, you know, a near max for DeAndre Ayton, and it doesn't pan out with Ayton, that could could be a problem as well. All of these things can fall to crap at any time, but injury obviously makes it really difficult to overcome some of this financial stuff, um, which obviously you don't hope for, but I tend to just err on the side of, these are paid professionals to figure out the cap. I'm guessing they'll figure out the cap, and if not, they probably lose their jobs because they couldn't figure out the cap. Uh, let's get to one last question here. That was a really good one from Freddie. Last one here comes from a Will Lou Stan, which, uh, you know, I guess we can talk about Will Lou on this podcast. Sworn enemy of the show. No, we love Will. Hopefully I get him on soon. Uh, do you see potential for Justin Champagne to come off the bench as a three and D guy? We've seen how nurse likes his fit defensively and the offensive rebounding definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, I'm planting my flag right into the ground. I think Justin Champagne is a rotation player next season by like December. I I, I think, the offensive rebounding obviously fits what they want to do. His on-court offensive rebounding numbers were ludicrous this season. That's just, you know, the, the way that he... Let me just see if I can find it here real quick on basketball reference, because I know they were nuts, but I'm trying to figure out exactly what they were. His personal offensive rebounding percentage was 13 and a half. clearly the best on the team, ahead of Ken Burch, ahead of Chris Boucher, who of course were incredible at grabbing offensive rebounds. I don't have the team stat here in front of me, but The individual offensive rebounding percentage is off the charts, next level elite for Justin Champagne. That fits what the Raptors want to do, of course, considering that's just such a huge part of how they want to play offense is collect those misses and put them back up and win the possession game. I also think the defense certainly plays. He fits the theme of everyone kind of being like size. He's a little smaller. He's like 6'6", 6'7", I think. But, you know, he certainly has played, I think, more as a big man, at least when he's played with the Raptors. He was maybe a bit more wing-oriented playing with Raptors 905, but with the Raptors, very much kind of operated as a four or a small ball five most of the time. So I think he can hang there. Uh, And yeah, the three-point shooting, I mean, that is the big swing skill, right? And he... know, had some moments. He had one game where he kind of ballooned his his overall season stats for the Raptors. I think he had four in one game this year. Um, But if I'm just going to pull up his G League stats this season to confirm I'm right. But I am certain that he shot a ton of threes this season with Raptors 905, uh, as I'm being confirmed that is true. Yeah, 6.3 attempts, 41% from downtown for Justin Champagny with the G League this season. They were very clearly like, all right, this is the thing that's going to get you on the floor with us next season. Go ahead and do it. And that's a pretty encouraging, you know, turn of sample, right? If it's just corner threes or catch and shoot stuff, that's totally fine cuz he's not going to be asked to do a ton with the ball in his hands anyway. So, yeah, give me Justin Champagne in the rotation next season. I could totally see him being an eighth or ninth man who fits the overall ethos of the team. And especially if they lose Thad Young in free agency, I feel pretty all right about, all right, just throw Champagne and get those minutes. Maybe there's some growing pains early in the season, but I think by mid-season, you're probably looking at Justin Champagne as a regular 17, 18-minute rotation guy. Like, I think they buy into him that much. Of course, they have to give him a contract. Um, he's He's a restricted free agent after the first season with the team. So, or they have his rights. I'm not sure the actual minutia or the proper nomenclature for it, but either way, it's in their realm of, you know, influence to say, all right, Justin Champagne, we want you back. Here's a two year contract, whatever it might be. Uh, and hopefully they can do that because I think he's awesome. <laughs> and I am very much on the Justin Champagne bandwagon. With that, we're going to round out the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's mailbag episode. Katie Heindl is going to be on the show tomorrow. Not sure what we're talking about just yet, but you know it's going to be fun when Katie's around. Then on Friday, we're going to talk about potentially OG to the Blazers. I don't think it's happening. I think it's kind of dumb that it's even being talked about, and that Damian Lillard's like, "Well, I, I just want them to trade for OG and an OB. Yeah, I want a million dollars too, man. Um, but you know, we'll talk about that with Mike Richmond of Lockdown Blazers, who's been on the podcast before. He's lovely. We love Mike Richmond in these parts, and so we will dig into the potential of a Blazers and Raptors OG swap on Friday. I think I'm going to disappoint some eager Blazers fans who seem to think this is like a thing that's happening, which I really don't see. Either way, thank you so much for. Tuning tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow. You can subscribe, follow, rate, review, and all that good stuff. It's very much appreciated when you support the show that way. And with that, we will round it out. Go make your second listen of the day locked on nhl as they are teeing up the stanley cup final tampa bay colorado it's going to be the best thing in sports over the next couple of weeks i can promise you that especially with the nba finals probably being over maybe being over at least they'll be over by sunday but maybe over as early as thursday so go check out locked on nhl to get prepared for the stanley cup final with that thank you so much we'll talk to you thursday with another episode of locked on raptors Bye